assurance. In my own case, I think, the discrepancy is about as large as it can be without a fragmentation of the personality. I learned to do the right thing only by doing all the wrong things first. To be fair to myself, if I got nothing right at all, there would be no achievements to show. But the conviction is that, though the desire to entertain is not to be despised, it rates quite low on the scale of social importance, a long way behind dentistry, and not necessarily very far above the ability to clean lavatories. Most of those who make a living from it are very lucky, and I am even luckier than most. The older I get, the more time I spend wishing I had done things differently. I wish that could be different, but there you go. Or rather, there I go, still trying to clean up the paste with the good lace doily from the chest of drawers. In the closing pages of the last volume of my memoirs, I got married. The ceremony marked a rare outbreak of normality in my life. It was symbolised by my personal appearance. I was clean-shaven and had a hairstyle in reasonably close touch with my head. I was wearing a rather good-looking dark grey suit, specially purchased in Carnaby Street. For a suit whose price had not been high, it was elegantly understated. There was no excess cloth and at that time there was still no excess flesh. The suit's drain-pipe trousers had drain-pipe legs inside them. Posing in front of a full-length mirror, I had to say that the suit was well chosen. I vowed to look after the suit for a long time. After the next occasion on which I wore the suit, I noticed that the cloth had frayed on both legs in the area of the upper thigh. After only a single further occasion, the crotch fell out. Perhaps some mental projection of deep-seated anxiety about my fitness for marriage had eroded the fabric. Freud probably had a word for it, trouser traumerei. But a more likely explanation, I slowly realised, was that the suit had been cheap because its materials were flimsy. By dead of night, I dumped the suit into a garbage bin. After that sartorial hang-up, as it were, I rejoined the mainstream, in the sense that even when dressed for best, I looked like a comedy of errors. We all looked like that, or at any rate the younger men did. The Duke of Edinburgh never dressed to get attention. If he didn't, why did we? It is a very hard thing to evoke an era. How, for example, would you capture your era's atmosphere of squalid menace in public places? As the sixties slithered into the seventies, the streets were still almost incomparably safer than they are now, but the post-punk body-piercing hoodies of today look diffident, almost self-effacing, compared to the young males of that time. With few exceptions, we all look more amazing than anything seen in Britain since the Restoration brought in horned wigs and stilt heels. The fashion dictated long and thick sideboards, as if the head had been joined on each side by a small sofa deprived of its covering and tilted on end. There were velvet jackets, flared trousers, zip-sided boots. With the possible exception of the hair, all these elements entailed a lavish use of industrially generated materials, especially polyester. My shirts included an electric blue number that made the unwary spectator's eyes ache. I thought it looked particularly good with a cravat. The cravats were of a chemically-derived material printed with a paisley pattern. They sometimes delivered electric shocks when touched. 
went charged up by walking for long enough on the right kind of nylon carpet. I could be seen in the dark, but that still didn't mean that I looked unusual. Almost everyone under forty looked something like that. It was an era of dandies without taste. So much for the evocation of the exterior life. The interior life, as always, was more personal. Even I could see that the first consequence of getting married was the necessity to earn a living. Until then, I had lived like a student, which is another way of saying that I had lived like a bum. Such a way of life would still be my first choice today. When life gets too much for me, I have no trouble identifying with the man dressed in a pile of rags as he sleeps in another pile of rags somewhere against the concrete wall of a London underpass, just far enough away from a puddle of his own urine. But if I succeeded in getting him to swap lives, I suppose I would soon spoil the borrowed simplicity. The rags around my feet would be an invitation to...